Circe Henestrosa is presently head of the School of Fashion at LaSalle College of the Arts in Singapore, holding an MA in Fashion Creation from the London College of Fashion, and currently working on a PhD in Fashion Disability. She co-curated the exposition, Frida Kahlo, Making Herself Up, which opened its doors in London's Victoria Albert Museum last 16th of June, breaking record online sales within the first two weeks of release. The historical figure we will be interviewing Circe about is Frida Kahlo de Rivera. She's a Mexican painter best known for uncompromising and brilliantly colored self-portraits she created, mainly after she was severely injured in a bus accident that deal with themes such as identity, the human body, and death. Kahlo got involved in politics by joining the Mexican Communist Party, where she met fellow painter Diego Rivera, whom she married. They divorced 10 years later, but reconciled and moved into La Casa Azul, which was redesigned as a museum to commemorate her and her work. I'm just going to get right into it with our first question. What got you inspired to work in the field of fashion? Well, hi, Adriana. I'm so happy to be here with both of you. And what got me inspired to work in the field of fashion? Well, I grew up in Mexico City, surrounded by amazing art and a very rich culture. My father was an editor and my mom was a fashion journalist. So from a very early age, I was exposed to different museums, to different people. A lot of people would come to, to my house, photographers, writers. So I grew up surrounded by this artistic environment in, back in Mexico. And I guess that's what brought me into, into the field of fashion. And why such an interest in Frida Kahlo? Well, I guess that also comes from, from my family. Um, I also grew up hearing stories about Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. I guess we all in Mexico, we all do somehow. You grow up going to the Blue House, which is the Frida Kahlo Museum today. And, um, and my, fa- my family on my, on my father's side come from the Tehuantepec Isthmus, which is a matriarchal society in the southeast part of Mexico. And um, this matriarchal society um, is administrated by women. And all the women dress the typical ethnic dress that we know that Frida adopted as her logo. And um, so my great uncles were from that part of Mexico, from the Tehuantepec Isthmus. They were two indigenous people from, from that region. And they were also part of the circle of intellectuals of the famous couple of Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo. And when Frida Kahlo decides to adopt this ethnic dress from Tehuantepec, which is called the Tehuana dress. My aunt, who was an indigenous woman from there, used to bring Frida her first pieces from Tehuantepec. So that's my personal connection to Frida Kahlo and why I was interested in her. Do you mind describing these types of dresses? Well, they're usually very colorful. It's really interesting because the the composition of this specific ethnic dress will inform um, Carlos' construction of identity. She could have chosen any dress, 
We have many, many traditional dresses around Mexico, but this specific dress has a headpiece, which is composed by different flowers. Then you have what we call a huipil, which is like a short tunic. Usually it will be embroidered with beautiful flowers or it will have geometrical motifs done in, in chain stitch or cross stitch. And then you have a long skirt. There are two things that will inform Carlos' construction of identity and choice of dress. One is her ethnic group and the other thing will be her disability. So back to your, your question of why the composition of the dress or how does it look. So by the time she chooses to wear this dress is the time where the Mexican Revolution ends. The Mexican Revolution is from 1910 to 1920. And then we had this Minister of Culture called Jose Vasconcelos, who was obsessed to promote Mexican values and Mexican heritage. He thought that the only way Mexico will come out from the revolution was through the promotion of culture and education. So this is a period of time where he commissions all these Mexican muralists like Diego Rivera and Clemente Orozco and to paint these big murals with the promotion of all this Mexican heritage. The motifs were all around Mexican heritage. And then Frida Kahlo aligns with these ideas and is then when she adopts this dress. And so relating to that, how did the idea of putting together the Victoria Albert Museum um, come about for the exposition of Frida Kahlo? Yeah. Um, well, I curated the first exhibition entitled Appearances Can Be Deceiving, The Dresses of Frida Kahlo at the Frida Kahlo Museum. And this exhibition was based on the remarkable discovery of, of her wardrobe um, back in 2004. And um, here in a way for over 50 years, following her death in 1954. This is the first time that this wardrobe was shown in Mexico, back when I did the first exhibition. And then for the Victorian Albert Museum, we did um, kind of like an extension of that same exhibition, which was discussing Carlos' construction of identity through disability, ethnicity, her political outlook, and her gender identity. How are challenges that we as women face portrayed in Frida Kahlo's art? Well, I think Kahlo's powerful style and art are integral to her myth and her paintings. I think it is her construction of identity through ethnicity, her disability, her political outlook and the gender politics that makes her such a compelling and relevant icon today. Everything was related, everything contributed to, to her construction of identity. And, um, and I think a lot of women relate to her story because of the intersection she represents. So imagine she was back in the, in, the, in the 20s, a female artist who was dark skinned, who was disabled and who was uh, queer. That intersection that she represents, I think continues to be very relevant today because it talks to a lot of different groups. She continues to be very, very important. Uh, going on to our next question, how did Frida Kahlo's art and fashion parallel Mexican culture at the time? A lot of scholars say that she chose this ethnic dress to please Diego Rivera. And while I don't deny it, because they were muse and they inspired, they were muse to each other, they inspire each other um, somehow, I think they were other reasons that went beyond. Again, as we were discussing by the time she 
chooses this dress, which is the time of the post-revolutionary era, when Jose Vasconcelos, who was the Minister of Culture, felt that the only way Mexico could come out out of the revolution was by the promotion of culture and education. So he commissioned all the Mexican muralists to depict these scenes celebrating Mexican heritage. So Frida Kahlo aligns to that. But by the time she chooses that dress, it's a time again where she wants to celebrate this Mexicanidad, where she wants to probably distinguish herself from her very, very famous husband, the muralist Diego Rivera, and also her choice of, of, of dress is a dress that comes from a matriarchal society that symbolizes a powerful woman. If you see in Mexico, during that period of time, around the 20s and 30s, the fashion was dominated by Hollywood and France. Mexico was called the city of palaces because um, we had a dictator who was obsessed with Paris and it was like a Parisian city. And um, the architecture is very Parisian, very European in, in Mexico City. So the fashions were very, very aligned to that. So she adopts this dress in a very non-conformist way. So yeah, it was all about the celebration of, of all these Mexican values. Describe your favorite art or fashion piece from Kahlo. Definitely the two Fridas is a, is, a, is a painting that I really love when we see her Frida dressed in her Tijuana dress and then another Frida dress in a European style. Her selection of dress is exactly what we have in the, in the archive. The archive is composed by different pieces from Oaxaca and beyond different other parts of, of Mexico. But there are also different European blouses and different American blouses, long skirts, and that allow her to create that hybrid style. So we don't know exactly where the European blouses or the American blouses came from, whether some of them belonged to her mom or, or whether she acquired them in, in the flea markets, for example, in Paris or in the, or in the US. We, know, we knew recently from letters that she wrote uh, to her mom from San Francisco that the Chinese pieces that we also didn't know where they uh, came from, came from the Chinatown in San Francisco because she wrote to her mom how she was in love with all these Chinese pieces and that she was going to buy all these amazing fabrics, you know? So, it's, um, so going back to the, to, the, to the painting of the two Fridas, I, I love it because it, it represents her mixed heritage. She was La Mestiza, you know, she was, uh, her father was German, of German descent, and her mom was Mexican. So not only it reflects what we have in the wardrobe, but also that mixed heritage. Going on to kind of a different subject, how did Frida Kahlo incorporate her prosthetic-like piece into her fashion? So when I was working with the archive, there, were all the, there was all the collection of all these beautiful ethnic dresses, but we also had an amazing collection of prosthetics. Corset, orthopedic devices, corset pieces, plaster, uh, made out of plaster, made out of, of leather, her prosthetic leg. So I wanted to know how this set of objects spoke to each other and how they related. There are two events that will define uh, Kahlo's disability or her choice of dress informed by disability. When she was little, um, at the age of six, she had polio, leaving her right leg shorter than the left. And she describes how she used to wear 
different socks, like three to four socks to level her leg. And um, she also describes how she started using long skirts to cover her body differences. The second event was the very famous accident she had when she was traveling from school from in a bus going back to her home. This bus collided with a tramway. And I don't know really how she survived because her body was pierced with a metal bar through her pelvic bone, leaving her with the impossibility of conceiving children ever. And this is the beginning of the life of, of the amazing artists we know today, but it's also the beginning of the deterioration of her body. So if you remember how I was explaining to you the construction of the Tijuana dress, which is with, with, um, with a tocado, like the, the flowers headpiece, then the short whipil and the long skirt. She started at the age of six with the polio, establishing a relationship between her body, the geometry of her body and clothes from a very early age. So when she grows up, if you see the construction of this dress, will allow her to concentrate the adornment from the torso up. So the viewer will always look at her from the torso up because naturally the adornment of this, the construction of, of the dress and the adornment is all from the torso up. You have the, she would wear her necklaces, her headpieces, distracting the viewer from her wounded legs and her wounded body. So that's how all these beautiful fabrics will allow her conceal her disabilities underneath these beautiful fabrics. However, in her art, she will reveal her body. So I think that relationship between concealing her disability and revealing um, is something that I also brought into, into the exhibition because um, also from, from the archive, as I was explaining to you, how we discovered that photograph of her maternal family all dressed in the Tewana attire that informed her ethnic root from that maternal root. There was another drawing called Appearances Can Be Deceiving which is the title of the first exhibition. And this modest drawing shows Carlos layers of identity. It shows her naked with the right leg significantly thinner than the other. We see her with her corset, and then we see the silhouette of the Tewana dress, and then she titles this drawing, Appearances Can Be Deceiving, like saying what you see is not what you get. So my favorite item is definitely the prosthetic leg, I think it's so contemporary and so ahead of its time. She was ahead of her time in general. But this item in particular shows how her interest in fashion was considered. Why would a prosthetic leg be ugly? She commissioned, I think, a shoemaker to make this beautiful red boot that she incorporated with um, these Chinese embroideries and she put a bell, a, a little bell on it. so. When she was walking, you could hear she was walking and that she was coming, that she was able to, to walk with the prosthetic leg. And the same she did with her corset pieces. So her corset pieces were all painted and intervened in a way that almost as if it was an act of rebellion. So while she would hide the corsets underneath the, the wipiles, she also uncovers them. There are various photos where she's showing her painted corsets, but it's, it's amazing because she incorporates them as, as a second skin. So if she wanted, she was at home and she wanted to take her blouse out 
and she would walk around and because the corsets were painted, they would act as a blouse. So all these, these objects tell you so many stories about the wearer and that's why I'm fascinated by, by my, my, my discipline because she really demedicalized these items, transforming them into accessories and objects of fashion, like fashionable objects. No? So, for example, Alexander McQueen um, took Amy Mullins, um, who was um, a double, a double am amputee. Alexander McQueen took Amy Mullins walking in, in his runway with this amazing wooden carved prosthetic legs. I think it was in 1998 for his collection, 1998. And Carlo did that 50 years before conceiving the decoration of a prosthetic leg rather than being a medical item as a fashionable item. So that extension of that leg, is not, it becomes an extension of her body, but it becomes, it's not only a fashionable accessory, but it becomes fashion, the whole body, the, the embodied personality, once she's wearing the, 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 pros the prosthetic leg, becomes fashion. <laughs> Thank you for Crazy, that amazing no? answer. Yeah. <laughs> So, relating to what you were saying about the Alexander McQueen collection, what legacy does Frida Kahlo's fashion art carry on today, and what can we learn from her? Well, I think her image endures because she was able to break a lot of taboos about women's experiences, about the challenges to overcome illness and physical injury, both exposing them and working them through trauma, in creative ways. I think her resilience and her fighting attitude and determination to enjoy life despite of all the difficulties, the physical difficulties she had, makes her a very powerful symbol. That's why she continues to, to, to talk to many different groups. In the case of many designers and artists and in general popular culture have adopted her not only for her striking image, but I think because her image continues to communicate strength and possibility for change. Okay, well, um, that's it for today, but thank you so much for coming and we really appreciate you answering our questions for Pandora's Bin. <laughs> thank you for having me. 